Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Craft Sanity. I've been working really hard (laughs) to bring this episode to you on time. I am participating in the blog tour that Lisa Curtis is going on. She is the author of the brand new book called Knit Fix, Problem Solving for Knitters, published this month by Interweave Press. It's going to have a special place on my bookshelf next to uh, The Knitter's Companion. I kind of feel like I have many resources now to help me when I get into uh, a little knitting crisis. Sometimes I just cruise along without really taking my time with my knitting and realizing I made a mistake several rows ago. We all hate to rip out our knitting. So this is going to be, I think, a really useful episode of Craft Sanity, especially for the folks who knit. Those of you who don't knit, please hang with us. There's at least one humiliating story that I tell about myself. (laughs) It involves a gigantic bow. Anyway, let's get back to the task at hand here. Today's guest is 53 of Wheaton, Illinois. She was a journalist for impressive publications like Money, Time, and Forbes. She's also taught journalism and writing at the college level. And she's gone into a new phase of life where she is writing about knitting. How fun. She is on Craft Sanity today to tell us the story of how she got into writing about knitting and how she came up with the idea to write this wonderful book, Knit Fix, Problem Solving for Knitters. Lisa has put it all down. She'll outline a problem. And then below it, she'll have a fix, and there's photos with every problem she talks about. Even if you're a beginning knitter or you've been knitting for years, there's very likely going to be some things in this book that will be useful to you. A website that Lisa's going to be running, knitmaven.com. She's going to be, each week, answering all of our knitting questions. She's going to pick one project a week and post a response to the problem that a knitter in distress submits. And also, we have a special opportunity this week in honor of the new book, Hitting Bookstores Near You. The folks at Interweave have graciously agreed to donate a book to be given away to a lucky listener who has a problem. So I guess this is a situation where having a knitting problem is actually going to work to your advantage. All you have to do is photograph your knitting snafu and send it in to me, Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. I will be forwarding these all on to Lisa We're going to have Abby pick a winner again, so we'll have a little more on that at the end of the show. The deadline for submissions will be uh, September 19th at, we'll say, 5 p.m. So without further ado, let's get to our chat with Lisa. Knit Fix, Problem Solving for Knitters is the name of your book. And this is really almost like the first aid kit that you should have in your house in case of an emergency. This is kind (laughs) of like the knitting first aid kit. And what made me think of that is the symbol you have all the way through is similar to what we see on a first aid kit but it's really 
a good accessible book and it doesn't make you feel stupid you know like if you're at work at the office and you can't run your computer and the systems people come out and they're like oh geez everybody knows this you know um <laughs> it, it, it's thank you for being kind about sharing your knowledge because it is it, i mean i didn't feel stupid at all and i was like oh that's a good tip you know i probably should already know that but i don't and now i'm glad i have this people at home probably are wondering okay how did this woman become an expert in knitting and how did this whole thing start I read in the kind of the introduction here to your book that you learn how to knit as a child and if you can kind of pick up with you know what happened in between you, you how old were you when you think you, you learned you know I don't really remember our family business uh, back three generations was a fabric store oh wow this was in Kansas City and I actually have a photo of my mom in, from the 60s, standing in, for a little while we had a yarn department in the fabric store, and she's wearing a knitted suit, a la Chanel. Oh, wow. Looking drop-dead gorgeous. But yarns in the 60s, about the most exciting thing out there was thick and thin yarn, and the colors were really dull. So I don't remember how long the yarn department lasted, but pretty, they closed it after a few years. And I remember my mother saying to me, you don't want to do this, when she showed me how to knit. And I think what her implication was, was go sew, which was the rest of the store where all the interesting stuff was. Right. And so, you know, you always listen to your mom. Well, I didn't. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And then when I was in my 30s, I moved out to the western suburbs from downtown Chicago when I got married. But I was still working downtown as a freelance journalist, and it was a long commute. It was about an hour each way on a really nice train. So one day I walked into the local yarn store and said, hey, I need something to work on. And I bought the stuff, and I remember saying to the yarn, the woman who owned the yarn store, and I think this might be in the book, and I said, remind me. Pearl is where you throw the yarn in front. Yeah, that is in the and book. And she got yeah. this look of complete panic on her face, like, oh, my God, all of this is coming back tomorrow. <laughs> right, right, right. This woman is not going to make a sweater. This is just never going to happen. And But it all came back because, you know, so much about knitting is muscle memory. It literally is like typing or riding a bicycle. Mm -hmm. It all came back. And what I discovered was that sitting at these – I was a financial journalist. And sometimes I had to go to something called an annual meeting. Oh, yeah. And this was annual meeting season, which was in the spring. And annual meetings in Chicago tended to be in places like huge bank auditoriums. And there would be hundreds of people in there, most of them stockholders. And I'd be up in the back. And, you know, they would take hours and hours. And I had to be there for those few pearls of wisdom that might come out. And so when I started knitting, my concentration just came to this sharp point. It was just wonderful. But, of course, I could never make a mistake because then I had to stop. Right. And so the first thing I realized was, okay, I have to figure out how to fix these mistakes or this is not portable. I might as well go back to the sewing machine. And I had this wonderful cousin. Her name was Shirley Goldberg, and she lived in Evanston, which was a good 40 miles away from where I live. And she was a brilliant knitter. And she was one of those people that just always had something going in her lap. And I would ask her questions. And she would show it to me. And pretty soon, I started figuring out how to fix things myself. Because what's the worst thing that can happen with a piece of knitting, Jennifer? Worst thing. 
probably like uh, my Julia Roberts sweater in the basement where you get going on it and you screw something up and then it sits in a closet for the next 10 years. Or yeah. alternatively, <laughs> you can just unravel it and reuse the yarn, right? Well, that see, that is the worst thing. And I, as you can see, I haven't been able to take that step myself. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Yeah, it's the stubbornness in me. But, you know, when you're sewing, or at least when I was sewing, if you cut out a sleeve or the front of a something long, you can't reuse it unless you're going to make it for somebody smaller. Right. And also, it wasn't portable. You know, I couldn't sit up there in those annual meetings with a sewing <laughs> That would have been quite... Could you imagine? <laughs> would have been a little loud. Probably. That would have been hilarious, though. <laughs> like, what, what? I'm just sewing here. What's your problem? Um, yeah, really. And... You know, you just keep going down there 100 feet away. on. Jeez, don't mind me, you know. I'm just a freelancer. Do your thing. <laughs> you, you guys are the high rollers. You know, I have to sew to supplement my income. <laughs> oh, you have been there, done that, haven't you? Well, <laughs> it's a, I've been to board meetings. And if you've been to budget meetings, government budget meetings, it's the same. Thing. The knitting probably actually helped you stay focused. I, I feel like sometimes I listen better when I'm knitting. I, I do. Yeah. And it, I don't I know. People don't do. get that. People think, oh, how rude, you know, to be knitting when important things are being said. But I know personally, I, I think uh, if I would have knitted all the way through college, my grades might have been a little better, you know? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know a woman who in college knitted fisherman knit sweaters without looking at them. And when she told me this, I said, how did you do that? She says, practice. She says, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it's, what, it's what she did. Wow. Anyway, so I started inventing fixes for things, and I never took a knitting class because at first I didn't have time, and then it was the sheer risk and taking control of something that I loved because when you're in journalism, and then later on when I was teaching writing in college, a lot of what you do involves committees. Mm -hmm. I was in magazine journalism, and that means that I had an immediate editor, but then there were like five to ten editors above this person. And once I turned in copy, it was out of my control. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with academia inside a classroom. That was my classroom, but everything else is meeting, meeting, meeting. And it was so wonderful to have something that was mine and only mine. Mm -hmm. So this became my art, my craft, my way of relaxing, my way of concentrating. Students would come in during office hours and they would discover me finishing a sweater and all of a sudden I was I was a human being instead of the much feared writing teacher, right? Right, right. Did you knit during your meetings with your students? Uh, I didn't. And when they would come in, I would put it down. But, you know, in the office hours, well, you have to sit there and just hold office hours. Right, just in case and, someone stops by. Yes. And during office hours, if I wasn't grading, and when you're a writing teacher, you do a lot of grading, I was knitting. And since then, what I have discovered is as I sit in front of my computer writing, because my other addiction besides knitting is <laughs> fiction, which who knows if it will ever get published, but you know, it's an addiction. And sometimes how you sit there and you're looking at the blank computer, it used to be the blank piece of paper in the typewriter, I'll start knitting. And I'm sitting there knitting and thinking about what comes next, and the next thing I know is I'm writing. And most of the time, I don't remember putting down my knitting. So 
So there is some segue on what, whatever side of the brain it is for me that is knitting and writing are on some equal wavelength. I don't know what it is. That's really interesting. Have you ever thought about teaching a writing class for knitters? I haven't. Maybe I should. I think you should. I think you're onto something. <laughs> There's a lot of the same process. I think I talked somewhere in the book about we all have our very own errors that we make over and over again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the first place I actually noticed that was teaching students writing. They would all have a very particular mistake, and they would make it over and over again. And I have my own writing mistakes. And, and you know, some of them are just real basic. You know, do you use a possessive here or not, right? Yeah, I do that all the time with it's. And I know the difference, but when I'm writing on deadline, yep. I just I make the mistake too. every time, so I have to check and see, huh? you know, every That's time. Yeah. And my husband, who has a couple of math degrees and has a very logical mind, looked at me one day and he says, it's the possessive is like his. Why would you put an apostrophe in his? And I looked at him and I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If I'm writing in a hurry, I still go back and check. That's my particular what I think of as process there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everybody's got a process there in their knitting. It might be they throw in a yarn over. It might be they drop a stitch. It might be they add an extra stitch at the end of or beginning of a row, whatever it is. And you know after a while what to go look for. Mm-hmm. But every time you try something new in knitting, and let's face it, that's every time you start a new project, you can create a whole new mistake. <laughs> <This is> true. <laughs> and after a while, instead of that being frustrating for me, it got to be the fun part is, okay, let's see what's going to happen and how am I going to fix it? And that's when I started getting wild and crazy in my knitting and tried all kinds of stuff. And that's what I wanted to convey in the book is, hey, when you get to this point where the mistakes are actually kind of fun to fix, you take all kinds of risks with your knitting. Do you think you're exceptional in the, in the sense that you think mistakes are fun to make? Because I know when I make a mistake, I get kind of mad about it. But you know, you, if you know you can fix it or if you know there's a way to fix it, would you get as mad? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost like it becomes like a puzzle. And, you know, it's knitting. It's not the end of the world as we know it. When I was teaching a knitting class, it was one of the first ones I taught, and I was showing people how to pick up stitches. And so I took the needle out of the stitches, all of them, and there was this gasp. <laughs> this just, and I looked at them and I said, and it was all women of you know, childbearing age. And I looked at him and I said, it's knitting. I'm not asking you to kill your firstborn here. And there's this <laughs> right, moment, right. and then they all cracked up. They said, you're right, it's knitting. <laughs> you know, none of us like to pull out stitches. We don't like to tear out the thing we've spent hours on. Why do you think that is? Why are people so, like, reluctant to pull the, the needle out and tear things out and be kind of take control of it? It's a mystery. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what caused the problem. They don't know how to fix the problem. And anything that you are that's, that's an unknown makes us scared and makes us tense. And there's certain things in life that, you know, you should be scared and tense about if you don't know about it, right? You're, you're driving uphill, and you don't know what's on the other side of the hill, and there's road construction. All right, it's time to tense, right? Right, right. <laughs> But if you drop the stitch, hey, let's put this in context here. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, we've got to have some fun with this stuff. 
And the second project I ever made, because I was one of those insane knitters, was intarsia. Okay, oh, my so goodness. I, so I go from knitting a sweater, because, of course, I, I just went all the way past all that let's make a scarf stuff, because that was boring, um, into first a sweater. The second one was, it was intarsia. It was one of those gorgeous rowan patterns. You know, this is, goes back to the 80s, with 12 colors in it. And do you have a picture of that in your book? I don't. The picture in the book is of the Kandinsky sweater. It's the Lee Radford Kandinsky sweater. And that I made, oh, I don't know, two, three, four years ago, whenever it first came out. Uh, let's see, spring 2002, so four years ago. Yeah, that is a fabulous-looking sweater. That was just, do you ever finish a project and you, and you when you're done with it, you miss it? Yeah. Yeah, that was this one. It was just, and it is one of my favorite two sweaters. The other one is the uh, the stash sweater in here. Those are the ones that are just, in fact, last year when, after the manuscript was in, an interweave said, we need to take photographs of those sweaters. You have to send them to us. And there was this moment of panic. I said, but that's my wardrobe. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. I mean, and, taking my wardrobe. <laughs> well, plus they're like your babies because when you spend that much time, the Kandinsky sweater on page 95, I mean, that is just so gorgeous. How long did that take you to complete that project? Oh, it was a summer. Yeah, it because it just looks like not it would been... When you do intarsia like that with a million colors. Oh, yeah, you can't be. You just can't take it with you at right, all. Right, right. And so that was one where I'd sit and, you know, we'd watch television or something. I'm one of those people that tends to listen to television. Yeah, I drive my husband crazy with that when we'll watch a movie. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, what just happened? And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I, I heard it, but I didn't see it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he loves me despite that. I think there are probably a lot of significant others to knitters out there who could relate to that scene where we're all listening to the TV and not really watching. I'm good with everything but subtitles. Subtitles, i got to put down the knitting. Although my husband um, has been known to start reading me subtitles until I look up. <laughs> oh, well, what a wonderful supporter. <laughs> he really is. Yeah, that's, it's, it's so funny because I think people just that are in relationships with, with knitters and crafters just kind of recognize that we're not going to stop doing these crazy projects, you know, so they might as well just come up with ways to kind of cope, you know. Well, so you were talking about how you were asked to send these sweaters away and send them off to yes. be photographed, and how did you survive? Did you go through withdrawal? <laughs> uh, just about, and I started digging in my closet for stuff I hadn't worn for years, <laughs> and I kept starting sweaters, and, you know, I thought, oh dear, I have to make myself something new. But, of course, at the same time, we were working on the manuscript. So, I don't know. <laughs> when I finally got him back in March or April, it was like my babies were home. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's, well, we get attached. I'm actually wearing the first sweater I ever made. Oh, yeah? What does it look like? Well, it looks like, I, it looks like the first sweater I ever made. <laughs> Come on, fess up. Well, it's really funny because it's made out of this cotton, which is a very, like, it's a very giving. I guess that's the best way to describe it. It's... Let's just say it relaxed quite a bit. Yeah. The funny part about this is I knew how to knit, like, the scarves and everything, and then I went to a class, and I, you know, I said to the store owner, you know, I, I like to knit a sweater, and I like to be I like it to be soft and something that I can wear maybe in the summer months, too, because it's be kind of, you know, cotton, not real heavy. And mm -hmm. I spent probably, I think, eight, I want to say, like, 85 
or ninety dollars just on the yarn for the sweater. So yeah. and it looks terrible. I mean, it. I mean, it. it, <laughs> it that's the part that just cracks me up because I could have had like a really nice like designer sweater. When you're new at knitting and you're thinking, "Geez, I'm not sure if I'm gonna ever be good at this," you kind of think to yourself, "Okay, how can I justify?" this like 90 bucks I spent on the yarn. And when you see the finished product and you're not, you're like, wow, it looks kind of like I made it myself, you know, but I was proud to get, you know, to get it done. And yeah, I kind of glossed over with my husband <laughs> how much I'd spent on this beauty, you know, because <laughs> then you add the, the class fee on top of that. And, and now I'm just a little, you know, obviously the process was worth all the money I spent because I think knitting is about process and not, not, o- not only about what you get in the end, because I have a lot of unfinished projects as well, but it just cracks me up because I will continue to wear this sweater, even though it looks like I made it myself. It's st- I'm attached to it, and like if I was to lose this sweater or something happened... It's our blankie. Yeah, kind of. And if, it's you know, blankie. Yeah. I know Interweave's never going to want to take a picture of this sweater, <laughs> but... I don't think I'd want to send it away to them, you know, I mean, and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, but I totally see what you're saying, and I have not made any intarsia sweaters yet, but yeah, I'll, I'll wait till my kids are in school before I do that, because with uh, two under three, <laughs> I'm not going to be doing any you intarsia. You two under three, yeah. there will be no intarsia. Yeah, there, there will, will be, be no There will be no intarsia for, you for need, a little you while. Need to, you need the stuff that's just kind of relaxing. Well... I, I don't mean to lead you astray, which I'm famous for doing that with guests, just kind of leading people off into the, the boonies somewhere. You're telling some, some lovely stories about where you decided that instead of freaking out about mistakes, um, not to imply that you ever freaked out. Maybe I'm speaking, I'm injecting my own personality there. Um, I would freak out, but, but I'll tell you why I would freak out. It was because I couldn't keep knitting, and it was at that point it was like an addiction. I think it must be like smoking is for some people or something like that. And without it, I found myself, you know, sort of jittery. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. every time I made a mistake, you know, occasionally I could go into a local yarn store, but mostly I had to trek up from Wheaton to Evanston, and there is no direct route. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, and to get help from Shirley. And Shirley worked for the Democratic Party of Evanston. And after that, she worked for Northwestern. And it wasn't like I could just trek up at any time. You know, we would have to actually make an appointment. <laughs> right. It wasn't like you could just bust onto campus and be like, yeah, I really, have a problem. I need now. I need this now. <laughs> I commute between Grand Rapids and, and Metro Detroit. I'm from Metro Detroit. So I'll be working on a project in the passenger seat, happy as a clam, because the kids are fastened in. No one can grab the yarn. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going along, and then I'll get to a point where... Something has gone terribly bad with my, I've done something, either because I'm engaged in a conversation with my husband or whatever the case may be, and I can't figure out what the problem is. And it's the most frustrating thing because I don't have, I can't just go grab another project, but I'm trapped in a car for like two and a half hours. So I totally understand what you're saying because it halts things. You make a mistake and Mm -hmm. you you have to stop and you're like, no, I don't want to stop. So how did you get around that? Well, there was one night I was sitting downstairs and I was knitting, and I had made a mistake, and I'd found the mistake in the same row. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, I don't want to take it off the needles and unravel it. Because, you know, that's annoying. Right, yeah. And that's why I regard unraveling as a last resort. It really is annoying, because it's like a three-act play when there's got to be an easier way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm going, okay, if this is how I make a stitch, by putting the needle in, right, and wrapping it and picking it up, 
wouldn't logically I could unmake the stitch by doing the opposite? And I thought, what do I have to lose? Worst case scenario, I have to take it off and unravel it, and which I hate, but let me see if I can do this. Mm-hmm. And so I figured out how to unknit. I just thought I was brilliant, I have to tell you. <laughs> I just thought I was the world's genius that, hey, I've, I've invented something here. Now, nobody invents anything on knitting. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's been around for thousands of years. Right. So, but I figured out how to unknit, and I managed to unknit back to the mistake, fix it. And, I, and I'm sitting here pointing with my finger from left to right. <laughs> uh, Unknitting, yeah. left to right. and then <laughs> Yeah, because I couldn't see you doing that. Couldn't see me doing that. I was busy and, knitting, but no, I'm just... Kn- yeah. <laughs> and then knitting back right to left. And I fixed it. Whoa, that was cathartic. It was, I can do this. And so after that, I would make a mistake, and I'd look at the mistake, and I'd think, okay, how can I fix this? Because I was saving myself two hours of driving. I could tell Shirley, I figured it out for myself, and Shirley was one of these wonderfully supportive people who instead of, you know, harumphing, you should have known this, would go, all right. (laughs) Right. You did it. And I would also... I have a visual memory, and so uh, there would be like this picture in it. And after X number of years of this, and I started teaching, I really wanted to have a book with all the stuff that was in my head. So when I wrote the book proposal, it was, this is, this is the book I wanted. You know, this is the book that I needed 20 years ago, and this is the book I would like to have to teach my students. Because there wasn't anything like there out there. You know, there's a little bit in different books, but it was no place was it all together. And uh, so it's wonderful now. Yesterday I was helping someone with, she was making a knitted purse, you know, one of those felted bags. Mm-hmm. And she had done the bottom in a solid, and then she changed to something else, and she didn't like the something else. And she said, Lisa, how can I just unravel down to here without losing the whole thing? And so, you know, we turn to the page that's got the brake needle on it. I Mm -hmm. forget what page it is. Anyway, and I showed her how to do it, and I showed her the page, and she said, oh, oh, I love that. Any teacher loves that moment. where The aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I thought, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And this particular woman, her first craft is quilting, and I love teaching quilters. Because quilters have no fear of color whatsoever. They have no fear of shape whatsoever because they're used to making their own, right? Mm -hmm. And she has made the most gorgeous thing, this particular woman. But every now and then she'll just freeze when it comes to knitting. But as soon as I show her something, but like so many of us, she's also visual. And to have the picture of it right in front of her, boy, was it easier. Anyway, so... That's where the book came from. I have such a good time taking a risk with my knitting. I wish, well, maybe it's a good thing you can't see me in my my studio office here, surrounded by... <laughs> oh, let's see. I can see just by four projects, just without even turning around. I can see four projects. So are you someone that likes to have multiple things going at once? Like, Oh, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is that they all eventually get done. Probably if I did one project at a time, it would be a lot faster, but that's no fun. 
<laughs> and of course, not one of them is done in the yarn that the pattern calls for. And let's see, pretty much every one, I've also altered the pattern. Yeah, I'm, I do that myself. I'm, and that's yeah. what I figure. My life would be so much easier if I could just follow directions, you know? I mean, but I, I always, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's you know, like. I thought about it that way. You know, but, so but, but it's so funny because I'm like, geez, how come, you know, I'll, I'll be working on a pattern and I'll be kind of mumbling like, geez, this isn't really working out the way I thought it was going to. But the thing is, the reason why it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to is I, I'm not following the directions on the page, you know? And then I, I'm like, I'll be like indignant, like, geez. This isn't working out the way I thought. But it's like I had no idea how it was going to work out because I'm kind of inventing it as I go. And But I think it, re- it really is fun to feel like you can color outside the lines because there, yeah. are, there are knitters, too, that um, I know some very talented knitters who say, oh, oh, no, I, I couldn't use another yarn. I mean, the pattern calls for this yarn. And I'm not afraid at all to take a walk on the wild side, but I have to say that um, my need for your book is greatly increased by my walks on the wild side because... <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it, is, it is one of those things that I recognize, I at least have the self-awareness that I create most of the, the, the pitfalls that I seem to find myself in when it comes to my knitting, you know, because I just don't follow the directions exactly. So, and it's no offense to the designers because these people come up with, yeah, they come up with these great things and you're right. You're right. I and mean, why do you think you alter patterns so much? Oh dear. If I can say anything good about those of us who feel the need to always do our own thing. I think I find that when I look at patterns, I'm in, you know, you're knitting and you're really into a project and I'm like, oh, I wonder what would happen if I did this. There you go. And then I try it and it's like this creative thing, you know, I like to think it's that creative That's side of my brain. I'm talking about. Yeah. What would happen if? Yeah. And then. And you can do it. Well, then when it goes wrong, I'm like, man, I should have just followed the pattern, you know, but um, I mean, there are times. But there are times, though, many times, actually, where I'm like, wow, that's really, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad I'm, I pulled it off. I mean, when I make things without a pattern, that's when I really feel like, man, I am something else. You know, and then, of course, no one appreciates, I mean, because I don't. you really wear that thing, right? Yeah, well, actually, I, I made a hat without a pattern recently, and I, I gave it away to a charity thing. But I have to say, I had, like, a death grip on it. When I took it to give it away, <laughs> I, I gave it to the Red Thread Project, and when I took it, I felt like, I can picture oh yeah, I, I went in with this hat, I photographed the hat, my sister, she's an esthetician and hairstylist, and mm-hmm. she has all these mannequin heads, like where they had to learn like different skin stuff, but yeah. anyway, I have this um, Asian American bald man's, uh, like from shoulders up, he's a bald man, you know, just yeah. kind of a little, I don't even know what the purpose was, um, he didn't have any hair, so I know she wasn't cutting his hair, but I said, hey, could I have that, can I use that for a hat form, <laughs> So I have a picture of my hat on this this poor bald guy. And so I took all these pictures yeah. of it, of him wearing this flowered hat. And I, you know, I was like really connected to this hat. And I took it in to give away. And I, I mean, I even had to go to the Red Thread Project. Uh, it's a living, Lindsay Obermeyer's project. I don't know if you are familiar with it. She's a Chicago artist who elicited all these knitted and crocheted hats. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then they're connected to a red thread. And then there's a performance art piece. Hundreds of people came downtown and put the hats on and did like some kind of, you know, we did a little dance wearing these connected hats. And then all the hats were given to charity. And even mine that I, you know, because I just thought, geez, I don't know what's come over me because I've given things away before many times. Open up your hand. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was really, I mean, and even like Lindsay's um, assistant took like pictures of my hat, like as it was being connected to the thread. I mean, it was just, and she's like, I think you might, 
I get, you know, I think you might like to have these. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But tell me, it was. Tell me you don't have it hung up with your baby picture. No, I definitely don't. I, I don't even think I could find them. So I think it's kind of worn off. But it is really something else. And I think people are going to find that when they read your book, and what I kind of recommend as somebody who has made my share of knitting mistakes that have cost me a lot of time unraveling, which is not the fun part of knitting. You know, the fun part is the knitting. Last resort. Yeah. Last resort. Yeah. So yes. if, if we can avoid that now, we're going to save time. But what I recommend is that um, people add this book to their their bookshelf of, you know, their knitting reference book. And I mean, hopefully you're not going to have to open it every day. I mean, cause that could be kind of no offense to your book. It's lovely and well-written, but <laughs> you know, we hope there's not a knitting problem every single day, but read it all the way through and then have it as a reference. Because what I found is there's things in here that I'm like, oh, okay, so when I'm in that situation, this is what I can do before I go too far down the path of destruction. Because sometimes I ignore mistakes. I see a mistake and I'm like, you know, uh, you know, no one's really going to be able to tell. But then it comes back to haunt you, you know, five rows later when you didn't take care of the problem. So, That's yeah. the knitting philosophy part of all of this stuff. But, you know, we made this book the size it is for a reason so it fits in your knitting bag so you can have it yeah it's a reference so you can schlep it around with you it's pretty tough it's got a hard back and i really like the fact that they spiral bound oh that's i love inside. that yeah i, you I love the spiral of, binding yeah because that that makes a big difference you don't need to paper weight a page in order <laughs> to sit there and look at it especially when you're in the midst of a crisis a knitting crisis you know yes exactly and also you know i think you could probably use this in a car. Yeah, so. just not when you're driving. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to have another kind of an emergency. Uh, when my husband and I do long-distance drives, and when you live in the middle of the country, everything is a long-distance drive. Um, people on the East Coast don't understand the actual size of Midwest states. You know that if you live in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one, one of the places that we go... Or entertainment is the Shakespeare Festival in Canada. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we spend all day crossing Michigan. <laughs> so are you so, going? Are you talking about Stratford? Yeah. Yeah, I, I went there in high school. Yeah, yeah. lovely. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, at the end of October, we're planning a knitting weekend in Stratford, which is kind of fun. That's on the, on the website. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Um, it's nine hours of drive, driving, so I'll do an hour, an hour and a half. My husband will do it. We'll go back and forth. Well, he's, when he's driving, I'm knitting. When I'm driving, he's sleeping. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, we, we get into Canada. He's rested. <laughs> and you have half a sweater have done. sweater done. <laughs> right. But you're maybe a little grumpy because you haven't rested, right? I haven't rested. I can't sleep in the car. I no, I can't, I can't sleep in the car either. And I also think that it's kind of a waste to try to sleep in the car because it's uncomfortable for me. You know, mm-hmm. I never really feel like I get very good sleep if I try to sleep in the car. And yep. I always feel like, man, this is great, great knitting time. Or I've actually even brought portable looms into <laughs> the car. But it's kind of bad because I was You're doing You're hardcore. Cool. Well, the thing is, I mean, that's kind of, well, when, after I gave some thought to it, I kind of laid off the, the portable looms because I had this small triangle loom that had nails coming out of it. And I just thought, you know, no, no, if we do, down. if we get into an accident, this is not, I'm not going to be killed by the crash. I'm going to be killed by my airbag forcing the loom into my face you know so I'm just like this is insane I don't want to go out in such a ridiculous I mean that's like a Darwin award you know a woman <laughs> killed by a weaving in the front seat of her car I mean it could have been... what I'm visualizing is the CSIS episode. <laughs> they're going to cap they're going to say what happened to this woman <laughs> yeah we won't even think about knitting needles 
Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you're going to go, you might as well be having fun when it's time to check out. But And I'm happy when I'm crafting, but I really, I decide, you know, this might be tempting fate just a little too much, so I've kind of laid off. Uh, knitting, I'd say, is much safer, you know. i got to remember that one. <laughs> oh, the, the weaving? crocheting, this I can see. But... Yeah, the we weaving, yeah, is, is crazy. Yeah, I try to maximize my time, but I've gotten a little smarter about what I bring into the car. But if you can tell us, too, do you, are you teaching at a particular shop right now, or do you kind of just go around and do workshops? I teach at, um, it's called String Theory Yarn Company in Glen Ellyn, Illinois. Okay. And it's, I could probably walk there. From, in fact, I know I can walk there from my house. Oh, that's great to be that close um, to the yarn shop. Well, close as in it's about a 40-minute walk, but, you know, we're long walkers around here. Yeah. And Janet Avila, who owns the store, is, She's either the world's most patient person <laughs> or she thinks I'm a good bet, one or the other. I, I have no idea. But Janet is just game. And I think I say in the acknowledgments that when I got the idea for the book, I really wanted to teach some correcting mistakes class because, you know, you got to test these, these things out in real life. And I walked in and said I wanted to teach a correcting mistakes class. And she says, okay, write me a syllabus because she, she, like I am, is, you know, a former educator, so... Right. You start with a syllabus. So I wrote her a syllabus, and we booked the classes. And so I got to experiment in her store. And I still am there a couple of afternoons a week because after I got the book about three-quarters of the way written, I went to her and said, Janet, I need to get away from my computer like a day a week because otherwise it's like I've got, lost my grip on reality. Mm -hmm. So she put me to work in the store for a few a few hours a week, and it became like help desk. <laughs> People would be like coming in crying almost. Are you please yeah, help me? Yeah. The best ones though are when people call. Oh, my favorite. People will call up on the phone because they know I'm there. And one lady was calling up. Now, now get this. She was driving, and she wanted to know how to fix the ribbing on a cup. Okay. So I told her, and she had to pull to the side of the road. So she could try the fix. And as soon as I realized that she's driving, I'm going, no, no, this is not good. Uh, she wasn't knitting and driving, was she? Knitting, yeah, you can't, you, and, and not only that, doing the fix, knitting and driving. So no, she was really knitting, trying to knit and drive? She was trying to understand the fix oh, and okay. drive. And okay. as soon as I told her the fix, she needed to pick up the knitting. So she could try it. So she could try it. And... So we got it fixed on the phone, and she was just thrilled. <laughs> I can't even remember what the fix was at this point. And I think it was a cast-on in ribbing, something like that. And I got off the phone, and I turned around. And String Theory is not a huge store. It's pretty intimate. And there were a couple of knitters looking at me, and their eyes were wide. And I said, what? And they said, do you realize you just fixed something on the phone? I said, yeah. And they said, wow, help desk. And that's when we got a name for it. <laughs> because remember what you said about computers? They make you feel stupid? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so they decided that this was the knitting help desk. And I thought, okay, that's fun. But, you know, for me it was just kind of kind of fun because, like, oh, this is an interesting problem. Let's see if we can fix this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they not you can't all of them do that. Every now and then I'll say, we got to bring it in. i got to see it. I'm curious about, you said you turned around and these people are looking at you like, you know, you're the chosen one. It was more on the order of, you know, was I out of my mind to even try? <laughs> like, yeah, is this woman absolutely insane? Yeah. Are you good at math? No. 
No. I mean, knitting arithmetic, I'm really good at, but anything above that requires my husband, the math genius. You know, knitting arithmetic, all the stuff for when I was a financial reporter, but, you know, differential equations, I can, I'm not even sure I can remember what a differential equation is, but I think I knew it one time. Well, and it sounds like your whole theory here in this book is that anybody can do this. Yeah. They just yeah. got to get the confidence. Yeah, try it. Take the risk. And if you make another mistake somewhere in the book, there's a fix for that. And, you know, it's not every mistake in the entire world. That would be for Fix 2 or something. The sequel. Um, <laughs> if there is going to be such a thing, I don't know. But there's somewhere in there is there's probably a fix for it. And what I really want people to do is say, oh, okay, there's this book that tells me, well, then that means that I can try, you know, fill in the blank. I have people who have made a million Delta bags because they know how to do it. It's fairly simple. Mm-hmm. But they've never tried a garment. They've never tried a hat. Now tell me, what's the difference between knitting a hat and a felted bag if you're knitting in the round? <laughs> There's not really much. Not much, right? right? I mean, a felted bag, it's great because all of your mistakes disappear in the wash. Right. Right. But once you've learned to knit in the round, you've learned to knit in the round. And I like people then to try, say, a vest, something with a little bit of fitting. Mm-hmm. Or, like you said, color outside the lines. Take this pattern that calls for this yarn and maybe try it in this yarn. You know, maybe we'll change the gauge or something. Because every time you try something new in knitting, you've learned something new, and then you want to try the next thing. Right. I mean, I haven't tried everything there is in knitting. What's your next project? i got to try beading. I haven't done it yet. Yeah, you know, I don't think, actually come to think of it, I haven't tried beading either in knitting. And, you know, I've got Lily Chin's book. I've got... There's another book. You know, they're sitting here waiting. My sister-in-law is making something out of one of the lace knitting books that's got, you know, the really fine mohair yarn, mm-hmm. the, the lace weight mohair yarn, and she's got, she's doing the beading, and it just, it looks really cool, and I just haven't tried it yet. And I will. That's next. But in the meantime, I have, you know, like these dozen projects, and my addiction is color, and I came by that honestly because it was my father's addiction also. Mm-hmm. And I knitted my last black sweater two years ago for one of my goddaughters. And I will never knit a black sweater again because it's just too boring. Yeah, I don't like knitting anything that's one color anymore. Mm -hmm. You can see this one in progress on the website. There's a vest that I'm knitting out of, in fact, leftover Koigu multicolors. So it's going to have, there's not going to be a color in the rainbow that's not in that one. And let's see, I've got... Something here that's going in black and sort of a sage green and <laughs> the general drip. Yeah. I am so addicted to color. Well, probably the Kandinsky sweater gives that away, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I'd say. I'd say. Yeah, because that pretty much wrapped up the rainbow plus and all the color mixes in between. Hey, it goes with everything. Yeah. Well, no, it's, and it's a great sweater, too. It's just fabulous. It doesn't go with. Yeah, I, on my list, I'd like to try. I haven't tried really any complicated lace. Mm-hmm. I've done a little bit of cabling, but I want to try to maybe make my husband a nice cable sweater and do some lace. But lace looks like it really requires a lot of attention to detail. You start out with a lace pattern that has a nice repeat to it. Okay. Because then you get the hang of it. Lace is basically some balancing of yarn overs, which is adding stitches, mm-hmm. and decreases. And, you know, there's a bunch of ways to do decreases. There's knit two together, purl two together, SSK, SSP, etc. But if you're going to knit something in lace, 
knitting that's a square, at some point for every yarn over, there has to be a compensating decrease. And if you find something that's got a fairly basic lace pattern where you can see where the compensations are, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it just clicks. And you just and get into the rhythm. And it starts to make sense. Yeah, exactly. I'm working on this one right now that I think it's the third time. The, the Koigu one is actually a lace pattern. And it has a very nice basic repeat. It's a 16 row repeat, which sounds like it's really hard. But within that 16 row repeat, there's only, I think, five rows that are yarn over knit two together or yarn over purl two together. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those that you can, I actually knit a lot of it on the last drive to Canada because it's got a nice repeat to it. And that's the good way to start with a lace pattern. And then after that, you get it. And then you can go on to the more complicated. Exactly. There's also a really good sock pattern that has a nice lace in it, the broad ripple sock pattern. Okay. That's on knitty.com. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll check I'll check that out. And yeah. I think some of my biggest knitting mistakes recently have been, you know, as things I've caused just by not following directions. You mentioned SSK. And this one, I think this is my process error that I make. I will be reading along a pattern. I see SSK. I'm like, you know, I don't know if I really feel like SSK. I think I'll just <laughs> knit two together, you know? And then yeah, I realized, it it totally, exactly. And then I'll, you know, I had a pair of socks. I, I just made a, a sock for my daughter. I finished the first one and I did that. And then I thought, why do I, why do I do that? Because I'll be like, okay. I only have five more minutes to knit. I have to hurry up. And it's not like SSK takes that much longer, you know? (laughs) It sounds ridiculous now, but I'd be like, SSK, well, it's kind of like knitting two together almost. So why don't I just knit two together because it's a lot easier. (laughs) Angles in the other direction. Exactly. However, if you do it consistently, if everywhere the pattern said SSK and you did knit two together... Yeah, it's, it's okay. A new design. And then it's okay because it's and consistent. Then it's okay. Yeah, I kind of do that. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes though, if, if, but in a pattern though, if I'm like, oh, three rows ago I didn't do that. I guess I'll follow the directions now. That's where the problem comes in. But right. unless you then did it every three rows, went back to. <laughs> and I'm not that organized, <laughs> then you know. Yeah, I'm not that organized. Knitting is pattern. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but that does give me some. I, I'm glad to hear though that if I just decide I don't do SSK, I knit two together. Mm-hmm. That's okay. There's somewhere in the book that I talk about. I think it's in the knitting philosophy section. What happens if you don't cross a cable? And instead, if you don't cross the cable, you get these kind of swoops. They look just look like giant S curves going up and down a sweater. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do it consistently, that would be a really neat motif, right. right? Right. On the other hand, if you crossed it and then didn't cross it and crossed it and didn't cross it randomly, that would be an interesting motif. Right. So you have to decide whether you want it to be exactly what the pattern says, and if so, go for it. Or if you want to color outside the line. I mean, it's yours. It's your knitting. That's, that was so what was so freeing for me. And on the downside these days, I have to take note of everything that I do because when somebody wants to come along and make the same thing, and I have to think, okay, what I do? <laughs> so do you have any UFOs at your house where these unfinished things that you're just sitting in a closet? Are you someone that you don't get, I mean, because you obviously know what to do if you get to a, a mistake or something went wrong. You know how to fix it. Or you're going to figure it out. So do you find that you're finishing everything now? My UFOs always involve a pattern that is primarily garter stitch. Okay, and then you're like, I'd rather not keep doing this. I'll put it away exactly. for a while. I see. And what happens, I call it know your limitations. Mm-hmm. And my limitation is if it's garter stitch forever, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I started a couple of great patterns. One of them was an Elizabeth Zimmerman pattern. And it was garter stitch forever. And I got like partway down the shoulder because, you know, hers started at the, at the 
the top. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is dull. And I know what I'm going to do. So, yeah, the UFO, there, it's just, if I may say so myself, gorgeous color combination of, you know, maybe a quarter of this sweater. And I know eventually I'll pull it apart. Or, more accurately, my husband will pull it apart. <laughs> Unraveling you know what? I just thought of, a, of, a, of an error I actually made very recently. Mm-hmm. I just discovered it, in fact, I want to say a week and a half ago. Yeah. I have, and this one I really do need your help on. I can't believe I couldn't <laughs> think of this. It's All like right. I block my own problems out here. I'm thinking, oh, I'm not really that bad. And actually what I did, this is just kind of the garter stitch forever issue. Mm-hmm. I was on bed rest when I was pregnant with my first daughter, Abby, and mm-hmm. I started uh, a knitted dress. This for you lovely or little... for the baby? Well, it was for <laughs> not for me, for the baby. Okay. A little dress right. for the baby. So I did the back of the dress, and then I kind of put it on hold, and then I kind of came back to, I did the front, I started working on the front of the dress, and it was like a six to nine month size. She was too big for the dress. I thought, well, I don't feel pressure to, to finish this now. And then I, you know, got pregnant again um, with, a, found out it was another girl. So I grabbed that project out, and I'm like, okay, I'm really going to finish this dress. Well, then I got busy and didn't finish the dress, and um, my daughter now is, uh, Amelia, the youngest, is um, 10 months, just about 10 months, and <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I really, I, I, you know, I wanted to try to finish this in time for her to wear it. I think she could still squeeze into it, but two weeks ago I learned. <laughs> I put, I laid it out to sew it together, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I realized that the front is about an inch too long, and the bottom has kind of a, there's a, kind of a border that will go around, mm-hmm. so you would co- totally be able to tell that this mm-hmm. is not lining up. If it's only an inch, if yeah. it's only an inch difference front and back, you might be able to ease it in. You think? You I'm might be able to pin it and see. I was um, going to try that because I thought, I really don't want to have to do this again. Yeah, and that's a very strong possibility if it's only an inch. You know, if it was three or four inches. No, it's not. It's not. Fronts and backs are never going to match perfectly because, you know, we're all human beings. We're, we're not machines. Yeah. But I would pin from the armhole to this edging. Okay. And I think I describe in the book about easing. You know, what you want to do is you pin halfway in between and then pin halfway in between that so that you're constantly closing up the space. Right. And you're not just kind of pulling from one side. Yeah. And then what you're doing is you're spreading that extra inch over I mean, how long is this? Um, probably about 14. Okay. 14 then inches. you're spreading that extra inch of ease all the way down there. And my guess is, and see, is it'll work. And part of the joy of knits is that they have give to them. They sure do. Even, even when you're knitting with cotton, which has zero give, the stitches themselves do. Right. So see if that won't work. And when you're sewing up the seam, instead of doing, say, a mattress stitch, okay, the edge-to-edge one, is there anything on this that the edges have to be done that way? Can you just do a back stitch? I could just, yeah, it's going to be on the inside. Yeah, there's no reason because yeah. it's do the same yarn. Stitch. I always like back stitches anyway on kids' stuff and also stuff for my husband because my husband just, I had, to, I had to rent him out to test drive things because he's just hard on stuff. Yeah. Back stitch stays together. And, you know, it's there permanently, basically. And if you do the back stitch one after you have eased that in, nobody's going to notice. Awesome. Well, this puts me at ease because I think it's a big enough thing. I think I'm still going to get her in the dress for at least one photo. (laughs) But it's ridiculous. If I would have done it all at one time. And that's another reason why we shouldn't let those projects pile up. Because when you come back to something and years have passed, you might be in a completely different frame of mind and your knitting stitches are bigger or smaller. Your gauge can be completely different than it was three years ago. Especially if your beginning knitter 
your tension is very different than after you've knitted for, say, a year or two. Mm-hmm. Beginner knitters, your tension is either very tight or very loose because you don't quite have the hang of tension yet. Tension is the most crucial thing to learn about knitting. And if after you've knitted for, I don't know, say a year, for some people it's just a few months, for some people it's a couple of years, then you get your rhythm. Mm-hmm. And then your tension is always the same. But my guess is that your tension, especially if you were doing bed bed rest, Jennifer. Oh, I was really scared. I I mean, mean, you must have been nuts. I was really scared. And and that's one of the things that I noticed, like the the back is, you know, the stitches are, I mean, a lot tighter than um, the front. And and I thought, well, it's a dress that's kind of gathered. It has kind of a gather at the smock. So it has a little bit of fullness to it. The lower mm-hmm. part. So it, I think with your tip, and I you know, have the book to re- refer to as well, I think I can um, pull this off and no one will be the wiser. Except there all the go. people I've just told on this show. <laughs> but but all the no one no one we come other into than that. yeah other than that other than the hundreds of people yeah but um but no one no you one have is going to gonna know see that everybody out there has made the same mistake oh yeah mistake. But are you still in the shop mm-hmm. when I can yeah I love it I call it my deep decompression zone well and it must be so nice too to be able to help people we all get into knitting well for different reasons but I know for me I really enjoy it and I turn to that when I'm stressed out you know I mean it, it's kind of like my moment of zen and yeah. it's portable I always have a project in my bag and it's usually always knitting. And I think that for what you can do for people is fabulous because we all get into this because we enjoy it and we, we want to kind of decompress. And then when we hit something that stops us in our tracks, you know, and we make a mistake, it takes the fun out of it. But you're able to restore that joy for people. So that must be so fun. I have a good time doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like, I mean, I really think you're putting a lot of good karma into the world. I really do because... Oh, good. Yeah, (laughs) I really do because, I mean, to be able to help people, because a lot of times what people do is they spend, we spend a lot of money on our projects and then, you know, if you stop halfway... You know, and you have and a sweater you, you never guilty. wear. You do. You feel really guilty. You feel twice as guilty because there's the whole coming into the house with a bag of yarn mm-hmm. and kind of glossing over how much it costs, you know. And then if it the project just sits there in a basket, it's, yeah, it's just, it's not a good thing. So that's fabulous what you're doing. And so you're. Um, I want to point out that the two sweaters that are pictured in the book, well, there's three, but two the two multicolor sweaters that are pictured in the book. Mm-hmm. The Kandinsky sweater and also the stash sweater. Yes. Both of those started out, the yarn that started out was in a sweater that was an abject failure on my part. I mean, complete failure. And there was just no cure for it. It was a sweater that was one of those knit from cuff to cuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm short. And it fit just awful. And so took all the yarn out of that. It had so many colors of the most gorgeous yarn. And the yarn that's in the sweater on page 100, the stash sweater, and the yarn that's in the Kandinsky sweater, especially the stash sweater, a good three-quarters of that yarn came from the sweater that just the abject failure. And these are my two favorite sweaters. Well, they're lovely. And the stash sweater is so cool because it's the mitered corner squares. Yeah, exactly. So point is that even if you finish a sweater, you sew it up. I mean, the other sweater I was about to put, buttons on it and I tried it on and I'm going oh no (laughs) (laughs) oh no oh this is just awful (laughs) you know and congratulations to you for saying this is awful and I'm not gonna wear this I made, when I was pregnant with Amelia, that's my youngest, I saw this pattern in Knitty for a wrap, you know, mm-hmm. and it had like a, a satin bow on it, and the person wearing it looked great. In the photo, it looked so cute, you know. Well, I was kind of forgetting that I was very pregnant. I was going to a wedding, and it was a summer wedding. Mm-hmm. I showed up in this black maternity dress with this black wrap that I'd made, and the, and the, you just, the wrap was very simple, because you just knit the, like, basically what goes around your back and the 
over your shoulder, you know, kind of covers your shoulder area. And the bow, I, I mean, I had this big, I sewed this big red bow onto this black wrap, which would have been fine with maybe a different color and a smaller bow. It called mm -hmm. for a gigantic bow. I showed up to this wedding. I mean, I look like a Christmas present. No one would want to open it. It was just <laughs> absolutely... I was, gonna, I was thinking oh. as you were describing it, you sounded like one of these wedding gifts. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, it was just, I mean... It was it was ridiculous because I mean when I was you know very pregnant and I was wearing and, and it was black at a summer wedding and I thought black would be slimming but this big red bow but what happened is I spent the whole night before I kind of crammed to get this thing made and then I was like darn it I've spent all this time I am committed I am wearing this thing and so I my family drove over to uh, West Michigan the wedding was uh, about an hour from my house so my my parents and my sisters and their husbands came over we're all getting ready and I got my kids ready and that's why I'm handing you know well, I just won at the time. The other one was on board. So I was, you know, I only had one outside my body at that point, you know. So I get, you know, little Abby ready. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to get ready. So I throw my dress on and I put this wrap on. And it's like probably about 70 degrees outside. I mean, or 80 degrees maybe. I mean, it was July. I mean, it was ridiculous. And so I come down the stairs, you know, and everybody's kind of waiting down to go out the door. And I come down the stairs in this, you know, my dress was fine, but I put this wrap on and people were like, what in the hell? But no one, but no one said anything. Like I could just tell from the looks on people's faces that this was not a good thing. But I was like, I am, I'm committed. You know, it's like I was so clouded by the fact that I had stayed up, sewed the satin bow. I did all this stuff. And then it became kind of a, I'm to the point too, where I am definitely not someone who's afraid to stand out, obviously. <laughs> so, Are you in the wedding pictures in this? I am. Oh, it was just... <laughs> It is just horrible. Been there, done that. Oh, but it's like I, I knew I knew all along it didn't look good. Yeah. I looked in the mirror and I'm like, man, this bow is a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be, you know. Um, of course, when you're cutting out, I mean, I think it was like six inches of satin. You fold it over and it maybe, I don't know if it was three inches wide or four inches wide, but it was just red and huge. I mean, and then I was huge, too. I mean, very pregnant, yeah. totally huge. And you feel like you're, you know, you need to pick me up when you're pregnant, you know, to kind of feel mm -hmm. like okay, I'm not just this, you know, beach ball with a bow around it, you know? <laughs> but basically, that's exactly what I did. I look like a beach ball, and I put a bow around myself, you know? If it, you've done that, too, where you've showed up wearing some homemade thing that you should just have never left the house in? Actually, what I'm thinking of is there's pictures of me at a wedding. Goodness, well, let's see. Their children are now almost in high school, so that gives you an idea. And it was shoulder pads. Oh, but Lord. Did you make it yourself, though? No, no, no. It no. was... It was, a it was just the style at the it time. Was, it was, and I look at it and I go, what was I thinking? Well, at least you have on your side that that was a style at the time. Because what I wore was not the style. It was, no one was doing this. I mean, this is, even the, the woman that came with the pattern in Nitty would have stopped herself at the door, you know. Because I don't think that was really meant for maternity wear, you know. It wasn't at all, you know. What do I do? I'm like, well, I'm going to do this. And, you know, so and did my, you my, take the red bow off? Well, it's, no, I, um, I still have it. It's actually funny now because I'm going to bring it out. It's going to be my Christmas wrap. There you go. And so, you know, because we do, my husband and I do this whole Christmas sweater thing where we try to, you know, dress in like sweaters that are matching um, at Christmas just because it's kind of a, it's kind of a quirky thing to do. Wait, because... wait, wait. Now I'm picturing your husband in a black jacket <laughs> no, with a big no, bow on. No, he's not. My brother-in-law, we did photograph my brother-in-law. He put it over his head and tied it under his neck like a bonnet. <laughs> I mean, they've ripped on me endlessly for this. I mean, we get a good laugh out of it. So now I can't tear it apart because it's like the joke. It's like we bring it out, you know, and I'm thinking I'm going to just show up like to family. Like if there's a family reunion, I got to put the thing on because I have extended family who I think they think that I'm 
probably just extremely mental. Like, I mean, I kind of do this with a little bit of a, I mean, because I got a kick out of the response. Because on the way to the wedding, about an hour drive, I looked at my husband and I said, you know, yeah, I think this was kind of a mistake, <laughs> my, my big bow, you know. And he's like, well, you know, if you like it. And I'm like, well, I'm not so sure I like it now. And he, but then I was like, oh, what, what the heck, you know. But people looked at me like, what in the world is she wearing, you know. And then I, it kind of became funny to me that I was like, well, I, I'm going to just go with this, you know. And, yeah. And now it sets the zero on the scale, right? It does. You're I mean, working on something, thinking. Oh, this may not work. But it's but not going to be as bad, bad as the thing with the red bow. No. <laughs> But see, but see, that's the fun of it, too, is that I kind of embrace, even when something doesn't go right. In fact, now I have a better story, because I would not be telling you about this really successful rap that I made with a red bow, because that's mm -hmm. kind of boring, you know? So I actually revel in it when it when things go awry um, and no one gets hurt. You know, it makes for a fantastic story. So. And, and what did you learn from this? <laughs> well, you know, I, I learned that basically... If, if you look in the mirror and you're thinking, eh, no, I don't think this is a hit, you shouldn't go out the door, really. I mean, because I... I trust um, your eye. Yeah, trust your... Well, and trust your instinct. I mean, because you look mm -hmm. and think, heavens, no, please don't go outside. You know, and then you go. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any kind of excuse, really. I just, you know, was like, well, I've <laughs> done... <laughs> I put the hours into this, you know. And the thing is, I have the type of personality where I will probably make this mistake again, you know. <laughs> I think I will. I yep. mean... Just remember, the word for today is proportion. <laughs> proportion, yeah. Proportion. Yeah, I mean, the rap would have been fantastic with it. And to my defense, I followed the pattern for this one. Okay. I followed the pattern, and the bow was really that big. Jennifer, how tall are you? Um, I'm only 5'4", and imagine if you put on, pack mm -hmm. on an extra, like, 35 pounds for pregnancy weight. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was. Sometimes I look at the pictures in the pattern books or, or in, you know, one of the fashion magazines, and I'll think, That'd be great if I was six feet tall. Right, and if you have a but slender model. Yeah, and like these slender models are wearing these lovely outfits, and then you, you put it on, and you're like, wow, it doesn't look like that. And I think what we forget sometimes is when you see a lovely pattern in the the model wearing the garment is tall, slender, and blonde. When I knit that sweater and I put it on, I'm still 5'4", I'm not slender, and I'm not blonde, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like... And, and how many of these variables can you fix or would even want to? Yeah, it's like, Let's yeah. Here. Yeah, I've finally gotten back into my lap swimming. But, um, you know, yeah, it's funny because I think we do that, you know. And even if you see something on display at a, a store, you know, you think, oh, if I just had that outfit, I could transform myself. But it's like, no, we really can't. That's why we have to just... Sometimes you just put the bow on and you go about town like you own the place, you know. But, yeah, it's... it's uh, you know, the joy of knitting is that you can take one of those, those patterns and alter it to your size. Right, right. A whole bunch of different ways. And that's what comes with experience, too. And I think your, your book opens the door for getting people to think that way about mm -hmm. owning their knitting, you know. I mean, it's that theirs. wonderful Kandinsky sweater, if I would have made it exactly the way Lee Radford designed it, it would have been... I forget how long it would have been, but it would have been uh, 52 inches wide. And that will work if you're six feet tall. Mm -hmm. But on somebody who's 5'4", that's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That would have been, what's she hiding under there? Or, oh my God. So, you know, the first thing that I did was shrink the sucker down. Yeah. And it's really, it fits me just perfectly. But, you know, proportion here. So what was the most re recent mistake that you've made in your knitting? The most recent mistake that I've made in my knitting. Let's see. Which one have I done here? 
Now, do you do them on purpose now? Well, I did last (laughs) summer. Oh, that was a lot of fun. When I was writing the book last summer, my days involved sitting down and going, okay, what mistake am I going to make today? And I found myself just joyful. (laughs) I was describing it to a really good friend on email one morning. Because she was going off to teach art in this really tough school down in the south, uh-huh. and I was sitting down making this knitting mistakes and, <laughs> and reveling in it. Like this piece is jacked, and I love it. You know, <laughs> it's like, wait a second, what's wrong with this picture? She's doing something really useful, oh, <laughs> and I'm making knitting mistakes. Yeah, but well, what a I mean, what a fun experience. And I think that those are the books we have to write are the ones that we wish were out there. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and it sounds like you've. You know, your, your background as a writer and reporter prepared you. You didn't have to worry about the, the word side of things. And you're, you kind of have the art craft bug in your heritage. I can't imagine how cool that must have been to have fabric store, I mean, in the family. Wow. I'll tell you, I wanted to sew all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you still sew? I mean, do you, do you still find that you like to sew? I don't. I've gotten so addicted to knitting. I can tell you where my sewing machine is, and occasionally it gets pulled out. But no, I don't. I haven't really for years. Well, it sounds like you found your calling. Do you oh, feel that way? That's scary. Do you feel that way or no? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's either a calling or an addiction. One of the two, or maybe the two are the same. Yeah, and that's wonderful if they're the same, you know. I mean, it's a lot better than smoking and a lot of other things, you know, uh, addictions out there, you know. So being addicted to yarn is not really bad. It can be bad in the bank account. But it's the one that... It won't send you to the hospital. It doesn't add anything to your thighs, and it's cheap therapy. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, that's yeah. another way to regard your, your yarn purchases. Mm-hmm. It's a lot cheaper than therapy. We didn't talk about, and I'm very curious about, how you had made kind of the transition in your life and the decision to, you know, just write about knitting and, and not go to those financial meetings anymore. There was an overlap for years. I would go to the financial meetings and I would write about it and I'd knit in the meantime. And then the next thing I did was teach college writing and journalism. And finally I thought, wait a second, you know, I think it was the same for me as it was for a lot of people in this country. I think it was September 11th. I was sitting there watching it all on television and my husband had gone to see his father, my father-in-law, the night before. And so I was alone with the cats when it all happened. And what did I reach for? I reached for my knitting. Mm -hmm. And it was just almost obsessive about it. And I think at that point, I realized what a comfort it is. And then also at that point was when the whole community thing of knitting came through. Have you noticed that with knitting, that if you sit in public and, and knit, somebody will come up and talk to you who's a knitter, and not somebody that you want to run screaming in the opposite direction right, from. I mean, right. Somebody who is coming up and sharing experiences or something. Yeah, and I even find that people who don't knit, very nice conversations start when you yes. do a project in public. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we're lacking in this country is this whole sense of community. We've all got these walls built up. Mm-hmm. And there's something about knitting that brings down those walls, and it brought me sort of tighter into the community that I live in, and then also this whole knitting community. And there's a sense of, I don't know, emotional, psychological support. My father-in-law would have understood it perfectly. And I really think that's happened since September 11th. And at that point, that's when I really started thinking about this. But I have to tell you that the book 
started, I have kind of surrogate daughter. I was driving her. She was just finishing medical school, and we were coming back from Cleveland where she was interviewing for residencies. Mm-hmm. And she was driving, and I was knitting. And she looked at me, and she says, in this really practical medical school way, because they have so little time, and they have to solve problems instantly. Right. She says, why don't you write about what you know? And I looked down at my knitting, and I went, what a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I think I had the proposal out that week. That's awesome. So sometimes you have to hear it from outside of you. Oh, yeah, because I think we all know what we're supposed to do. But you, mm-hmm. sometimes you just sometimes need somebody you to say. Sometimes you have to hear it, and then yeah. boom. And so now I do both things at once. And I tell Veronica this, and it just cracks her up. She says, I was just talking to you the way I talk to one of my patients or one of my <laughs> medical students. And right. She says, well, why don't you just do this? <laughs> and I said, well, I listened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, do you, have you written other articles, too, for magazines as well, for, uh, on knitting? Only, no, I, I wrote one piece for Nitty and then immediately started on the book. Okay. And so I just I didn't have any time. I wrote one piece for Nitty on tight knitting that ran a couple of summers ago. As soon as it was running, I, I was already working on, on the book for Interweave. And I tend to think in terms of books more than articles. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. Because once you've written books, that's the project level that you tend to think in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it also, you've done the whole magazine thing, too. It just was in the financial realm. Mm-hmm. But you've right. done that, you know. So for you, the book, I can understand that. I know as a little girl, that's what I always planned to do is write books. And then I realized, okay, maybe I should have a backup plan, you know, just to, <laughs> to get some experience. Because you don't just, you know, come out of the womb and crank out a book, you know. Um, at least I have some never people heard. do. Yeah, some people do. But, but most of us don't. <laughs> yeah, and I think I needed some life experience. And I, and I, of course, as a journalist, uh, as you know, you can pay the bills. You know, you get your stories done, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what you do. You sound very happy and very enthusiastic about fixing knitting problems and helping people, empowering people to do the same for themselves. And congratulations. Empowering and, is the word. Yeah. I think empowering is the word because it's just, you know, I love it when people will take some kind of risk. And really, of course, I'm, I keep coming back to the way you put it, colored outside the lines. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's exactly it. Make it their own, right? Mm-hmm where you make something your own and not have to just follow the pattern. However, one caveat, as a beginning knitter, one of the best things that you can do is get a pattern, get the yarn it calls for, follow the direction. Mm -hmm. Because that way, there's there's a whole lot of learning that you can do with that, and it really accelerates your learning curve. Sorry to sound like a teacher there for a second. Because you're not having to mess with gauge, although you have to make a gauge, but then you can see what the designer was doing with that yarn, with those needles, with that stitch pattern, etc. And after that, go for it. I mean, that row and sweater with the 12 colors, mm-hmm. I got the pattern and the yarn it called for. Little did I know it's that the last time I was ever going to do that, but I got the pattern and the yarn it called for. I kept I must admit the first three rows past the ribbon of the back of that sweater three or four times and unraveled them. And when you unravel in Tarja, it just collapses. Mm-hmm. It's like it turns to smoke and clouds. And that's another place where I figured out how to fix mistakes because if I could fix the mistakes in that, then I'd maybe get beyond the third or fourth uh, row. But I wasn't worrying about how it was going to look ultimately because there was that picture. You know? Right. And I still own that sweater. And it's really more of a coat. And I still wear it occasionally, even though, God, it must be 20 years old at this point. But I learned a lot just seeing what 
the pattern writer, pattern designer was doing with that yarn. It's a very good way to also start understanding fiber and the relationship between fiber and needles and pattern. And when I say pattern, I mean stitch pattern. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way to start. Then start coloring outside the line. The baby dress that you're talking about, did you get the yarn that it called for or not? I did, yeah. You did. Okay. Well, it was just a matter of me putting the project away. I do like two, three rows, and because it was just you know you knit you knit down and then you purl back and you knit. And I prefer to knit all the time, you know. So mm-hmm. it was kind of one of those things where I'm like, oh, this is just back and forth. And it was speckled, not variegated. If it would have been mm-hmm. variegated, I would have had that project done. I know I would have finished it way sooner. But I just because get bored. Every stitch is a different color, and it's fun to watch. Yes, it and up. I get yeah. so bored when it's like it's like oh okay here's a speckle, but that's not doing it for me. I finished tons of other projects in weekends, really quick turnaround, and it was just this pattern was just you know the finished product is you know hopefully going to be really cute. I love how the dress looks and the little baby in the picture, but it just mm-hmm. wasn't enough to hold my attention, you know. So I the problem was really caused by me not paying attention and just continuing to knit holding it up real quick, saying, okay, I think I got two more rows to go, and then binding off, and then not until it was done, realizing that, oh, I kind of screwed this up, you know? So, I, but I but think you're... you were knitting under self-imposed pressure, and that's not fun. Well, no, it's not, because you look at your child, you're like, oh, she's barely going to fit into this, you know? But I will finish it, and if it doesn't fit her, that's fine. I'll, I'll keep it and give it away as a gift for the next girl born in the family. You know, we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask just about your book. What do you hope that people do with this book? I hope they can open it up, find the answer to their question, go, oh, if I can do that, then I can do this. And so they'll try the next thing in knitting, because that's one of the joys of knitting for me, is there's always the next thing. There's always something I haven't tried. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want people to do. I don't want the person who always knits socks, because that's her comfort zone, to always knit socks. Or if she's going to knit socks, I want her to try lace. I want her to try cables. I want her to try, if she gets wild and crazy, entrelacs within the socks. I really want people to say, oh, I can do that. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted out of the book. And I think that you've achieved that because I think this is something that there are plenty of things that I'm just seeing and I'm already going to try out one of your techniques with the, my dress mishap. Mm-hmm. And then if people look at this and they still have some questions, what is your vision for your website? What I'd really like it to be is a bit interactive. Say your web address. Please. It's com, and it's knit, K-N-I-T, M-A-V-E-N.com. And if you get onto knitmaven.com on the homepage, you'll find a definition of maven. And what you can do is you can send me a question about a knitting problem once a week, what I want to do is respond to questions. I'll pick the best one or maybe the best two and do a fix and post the question and the fix on the website. And what's up there right now is, uh, in fact, you might like this, Jennifer, there's a real basic uh, fix for a lace pattern. What happens if you forget a yarn over? Okay, yeah, and I actually, um, I'm right on your website right now. So you're yeah, gonna, so and what you do is you click on fixes. Okay, I see that here. And you can see that, and you'll find photographs and, you know, step one, step two, et cetera, to go through there. And what I want to do is I want to hear other people's problems, their knitting problems, and if they'll send me a photo to, uh, there's a place on Knit Maven where you can send it to, but it's basically uh, Knit Maven at sbcglobal.net. Then I'll choose one or two, put them up, you know, fix them and put them up, and so that people can see the results. Because 
people are always coming up with problems that I go, oh, what an interesting idea. I hadn't thought of that. And mm-hmm. then I get to fix them. <laughs> and have you ever run into anything that you couldn't fix? Sometimes after something is completely done, we can fix it, but it'll never be as perfect to fix. I see. You can catch it in process. We can still fix it, but it'll be there. And then also, there's certain things that you can fix, and there's fixes for them, but they involve splicing yarn, for example, and they will never be as strong as if you had caught them in process, but Mm -hmm. they are fixable. There's very little that isn't fixable. But the ones that are the toughest call are the ones that are after something is completely done, and then something happens to the knitted fabric. It's doable, but those are the longer shots, let's put it that way. So for all the folks at home that have that UFO in the closet, that there's a problem and that's what stopped them, they can... Well, but if it is a UFO and it's not finished, then there's a real possibility that that you can can fix it. Yeah, if they send a picture of whatever the problem is. Uh If it's a UFO that they have completely assembled, put on, and gone, oh, then we have to rethink it. Right. If it's something that's much loved and it developed a hole or something like that, it's possible to fix it. It's possible. Well, I think this is great that there's now a place where people can get their knitting problems uh, resolved because uh, knitting shouldn't be a problem for us because we all love it. We don't want to have problems, you know, and when we do, it's so great to know that there's a book to help us and the Knit Maven to help us. Now, do you consider yourself the Knit Maven or is that... um, just what you're calling your website. Well, I'm calling my website. Okay. A knit maven, you know, nobody knows everything about knitting. And if there's a mantra in the book, it's there is no such thing as a silly question. Mm-hmm. And sometimes knitters approach me and go, oh, I really have a really stupid question. But it's not. If you've got a question and you get the answer to it and you've learned from it, how can that be a silly question? So, you know, ask them how we learn. It's funny that a doctor kind of got you thinking about doing this book and it really is about you know, kind of diagnosing problems and offering, you know, a remedy. So it's kind of interesting (laughs) how that has kind of worked around full circle there. Well, congratulations to you. This is a wonderful contribution that you've given to the world of knitting. I know this is going to help me. Oh, good. You've already helped me, you know, with (laughs) with my problem. And I will make a point to uh, try to fix that. And if it doesn't work, let me know and we'll try one of the more extreme fixes. Thank you for not making us feel stupid when we make errors because that's uh, you're definitely not taking the systems guy approach to this. Well, thank you so much for your for your time, Lisa. I really appreciate it. I think people are going to be really inspired by the fact that you're, you know, kind of in, empowering them to just own their knitting and that's fabulous. So, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been fun. Thank you, Lisa, for giving us the confidence to try a knitting pattern that we may have thought previously was beyond our capabilities. Now that you guys have heard about Lisa's book, get out those UFOs in your closet and take some pictures, folks. Turn that knitting disaster into a free book. So take a picture of it. Just send it to me, jennifer at craftsanity.com. And we'll see if we can uh, get some of those questions answered. I'll be forwarding those to Lisa, and she'll be featuring a problem a week on her website. You can not only get in a drawing for a free book, you can also hopefully get your question answered. Okay, so we finally have some winners. Abby did the drawing. We have four winners of Claudine's books, and I'm going to be giving away two copies of Collage Discovery Workshop and two copies of Collage Discovery Workshop Beyond the Unexpected. 
and they were donated by the publisher Northlight Books. So thank you to Northlight. Our winners are Juan Marsh, Susan Meyer, Hannah Anderson, and Dorothy Sharp. So congratulations to all of you, and I think I have addresses for most people, and if I don't, I'll contact you. So I'll plan on trying to get those in the mail as soon as I can. I'm going to be posting a gallery of photos. The entries look great. It's really amazing what can be done in 20 minutes. So that was really fun to see. Okay, I want to thank some generous folks who have supported the podcast. Heather from Monster Bubbles in Illinois and Catherine Villanova. Heather and Catherine, I want to thank you both for supporting Craft Sanity. It gives me some kind of reason to stay up all night to produce these shows. So thank you. I hope you all continue to send in the great show suggestions I've been receiving. I have enough to do a show every day if I had the time to produce it. Also, feel free to send any comments that you might have. Either post a comment on the blog or on the website or send me a note. Oh, also just a heads up for those who are in the Midwest. This weekend is a Renegade Craft Fair in Wicker Park. It's Saturday and Sunday. And I'll have a link on the blog so you can check that out. I'm thinking that I want to go. We'll see if I can pull it off. So I think that's it. I think that's all my crafty announcements. You guys have a great week. I'll be back next week. And in the meantime... Craft Sanity, my friends. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guests and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.